Good morning, and welcome back to the Prolific Author Podcast. I have kind of a special treat for you this morning. I am interviewing Andrea Pearson, who is a very successful author. In fact, she's one of the co-hosts of the Six Figure Author Podcast. Uh, If you have not listened to that before, I would highly recommend listening to it. All of the authors on there are very knowledgeable and very down to earth, and Andrea is one of them. So she is definitely someone that you should be uh, getting to know professionally through her podcast, if nothing else, and she definitely has a lot of wisdom to dispense. She's been doing this for a long time, so she's had the ups and the downs and the, you know, all kinds of writing experience in the indie space. Um, She's a successful fantasy author, and she's recently moved to doing romance, and I'm really excited to see what she does with that. I think she's going to be wildly successful at it because she definitely knows what she's doing at this point. So in the interview, we are going to talk about everything from email writing to tropes to, um, you know, how to deal with a series that may not be as successful as you want upon launch, just all kinds of things. And it's kind of interesting. It was really fun for me to interview her because I've known who she was for a long time. I don't think she knows me very well, but I actually learned email marketing from her originally years ago. Um, we used to live in the same state. And so I saw her at a conference and listened to her talk about email marketing at a time when I only had one or two books out and had no idea how to email market. And then I went and bought her book about it. And, you know, that's, how I learned to do email sequences. So it was really fun for me to interview her on my podcast. And yeah, we're, um, we're not going to do most of the other segments today. I would love to say that it's because I'm so excited just to get to Andrea's interview. And it's true. I, I really am. But it's also a really crazy busy month and I didn't actually prepare anything else. So uh, because of that, we're just going to hop into the interview. But it's full of just these gems of wisdom, things that you really need to know and to tr- do your best to emulate in your author career. OK, so let's just uh, let Andrea take it away from there. Welcome to the Prolific Author Podcast. Let's face it, readers read fiction to feel emotion and be transported and transformed. In this ongoing digital revolution, where online marketing is always in flux, the only way to create a sustainable author business and live off your royalties is to write transformational stories, market at every stage of the author journey, and cultivate a loyal audience of readers. Fortunately, there's never been more opportunity to make a living as a fiction author. Hi, I'm Liesl Hill. USA Today bestselling author and story clarity coach. When I'm not dictating my own stories about dragons, serial killers, and dystopian worlds, I help other authors write their own transformational fiction, position them as bestsellers, and market them like pros. Join me on the podcast where I give writing tips, marketing how-tos, story advice, and interviews with other authors who are in the trenches just like you and making it work. We are prolific authors. Okay, so we're here with Andrea Pearson, who is a very successful author. How are you today, Andrea? I'm doing good. I'm a little cold. My office is 65 degrees right now. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that is cold. <laughs> <laughs> Got a blend on me, though. This is not the time of year anymore. To, uh, good. Good. <laughs> good, good. So why don't we, um, why don't you start? I mean, I, I'm assuming most, a lot of people know who you are, but um, just in case, why don't we start with who you are and, and what you do and what you write? Okay. Uh, my name is Andrea Pearson. I am an author. <laughs> um, I write, uh, I wrote for the first 10 years of my author career fantasy, and I hit the USA Today list uh, twice with two different books. Um, um, let's see what all, what all, uh, just a whole bunch of different stuff, you know, all the fantasy I write for, I wrote for children all the way through. My best selling series have been uh, my Colonia Chronicles, my Mosaic Chronicles, and my Coven Chronicles, which my assistant was like, stop adding chronicles to the end of everything. 
Like, sorry. Well, it works though. <laughs> it does. And um, yeah, so those are, they range between teenager through adult, those books do. So those are my best-selling series. Um, this year I've switched to writing medical romance, um, sweet medical romance. And um, that's what I'm going to be focusing on for the next few years. I've decided that fantasy, I love fantasy. It's my passion. It's not what I read though, uh, which mm. is kind of weird because I, I, you know, I love reading, but when I, when it comes to fantasy, I usually only read the best-selling books because when a fantasy book is done not super well, it really infuriates me. Whereas with romance, mm -hmm. I can tolerate it a little bit better and I don't know why. <laughs> so I read more romance than I do anything else. Um, but let's see, I'm also a co-host for the Six Figure Authors podcast. Um, I frequently get invited to teach at Dean Wesley Smith's uh, Business Master Class for Authors. Mr. Can't even talk that one. And it was canceled the last couple of years because of COVID, which was a sad right. thing. It was my favorite thing in the world to go to that conference. Um, um, let's see what else is there. I don't know. <laughs> I love marketing. Yeah. Marketing's like my favorite thing. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Because most people who listen to my podcast and most of my students and everything, they like hate marketing and they're I, I know that the main reason they do is because they don't know how to do it. You know, everybody who yeah. feels like they can't market hates it. And so once you learn how to do it, then it's, then it's not so much a love hate relationship. So that's good. Maybe we'll get into that. But I just wanted to, um, a couple of things you said, when you said you hit the USA Today list twice, did you do that on purpose or like, was it a purposeful push for it or did it just happen because you sold so many books? Uh, it was a purposeful push because I wanted to see if I could. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, let, let's see if I push really hard. Um, I've, I've been, I released into Kindle Unlimited. And so I've been, I would have been able to hit it, be, um, you know, on other books, but I released those books wide just to see if I could hit the list. Um, um, and then I've just released into Kindle Unlimited, just, you know, take advantage of pages read because once you hit the list and then you realize it doesn't really do anything for you, <laughs> yeah, nothing yeah. long-term, I was like, there's, there's no point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we were kind of the same way I hit it. And so did you hit it just like with one of your books then, or it was just all you. It wasn't like a box set or mm -hmm. anything. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I hit it when I was like in an anthology and it was the same thing. We were just kind of pushing for it to kind of get that, you know, behind our name, but yeah, you're right. We yeah. pretty much broke even on sales and, you know, <laughs> doesn't do well, a whole lot for you moving forward. Luckily the book that I hit it on, um, was, uh, um, let's see, it was one of the, so the, my Mosaic Chronicles has 10 books in it and uh -huh. I'd already, already written almost all of those. And then I wrote a prequel novel novel that is a standalone story, but it ties into the series. And so I had 10, you know, nine other books where people read after that. Plus okay. that series tied into my Coven Chronicles. So I did make, I mean, I didn't, I, I more than broke even. So that it was, it was good that way, but I can't say that it benefited me more than a few months, you know, and being right. able to say USA Today bestselling author. I mean, in some circles, it still matters, but most, I mean, readers, so many authors have hit the USA Today list now, the indie authors, because it's so much easier now than trying to get it traditionally published and then mm -hmm. trying to hit the list after that, you know? And so it's right. a lot, it's, it's much better now. Um, but I don't know that it carries as much weight. I know the New York times they're trying to make theirs carries carry weight, but most people are like, I, like, I just did the romance author mastermind conference at the beginning of November, which was phenomenal. And, okay. um, like one of the authors like had 70,000 downloads on one of her books across different retailers. And she still didn't hit the New York times list. And that was in mm. one week period. And I'm like, if that's not impressive enough, then what is, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Well, I've heard that the, the New York times is just curated. So it, it doesn't is. even go off of downloads, like, <laughs> yep. which is, which is kind of stupid. I mean, it's like, what's the point of hitting that list? Then you have to 
really suck be, up to the right people to yes. get on it, you know, so. You have yeah. to be in the in crowd, which I've never really been one of the, I'm like, eh, no, no clicks for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same here, same here. Um, and then I, 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 don't, I don't even know if I have a question about this, but I thought it was funny that you said fantasy being done wrong, badly infuriates you because I've actually, I've had that happen a couple of times in the last year. I, I bought some book and I won't say which one it is. I, I don't even actually remember the title off the top of my head, but I found it. And I think I was just looking through lists and it had over a thousand reviews on it and they were, they were all good. They were four and five star reviews. And so I bought it and I, I could not even remotely finish that book. Like it was so badly written. It was clunky. I had no idea what was going on. The, the characters were just not well fleshed out. And I was going, how did this book get a thousand reviews? I don't understand. My books do not have that many reviews, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, <clears throat> there's, there's lots of different, different readers for every book. And so I just, right. I think that especially as an author, we're, we're pickier, you know, than the average yeah. reader is a lot of the average readers won't notice the things that I notice now. Like before I started writing, I didn't, I mean, I was able to read like 75% of stuff, right. Mm -hmm. uh, very, very rarely, maybe 95. Cause very rarely did I not finish a book, but now it's super hard. I mean, but, but some of the authors that are really successful, they pump out books really fast and you can do that in romance and not have it be, cause it's not as complicated. You know, you're not setting right. up worlds and magic systems and, and different creatures and, and multiple viewpoints. In some cases, romance is very, it's straightforward, you know, mm -hmm. which it's really great when you're stressed, you know what you're going to get, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe why I've been reading so much romance is because I'm so stressed. <laughs> But, but I mean, fantasy is not that way. And so it's harder to not, if you don't put as much thought into it, it's harder to pull something off that's going to satisfy as many readers, you know, Yeah. let alone the writing side, the clunky <laughs> right. grammar and, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. No, no, I agree with you. I always think that with um, my writing group, we, we're all authors and we're really nitpicky about things. But we also kind of know that readers are not quite as nitpicky as we are. So we can, you know, if, if we can satisfy each other as writers, then we're, we're golden with the readers, you know? Yes, that's <laughs> yeah, true. Um, so can I ask you how, I mean, I, I probably shouldn't because you're not doing it anymore, but for the fantasy, how did you come up with your magic systems? I, I ask because I'm, I'm writing a fantasy right now and that's like the number one thing I'm having a hard time nailing down is my magic system. So did you have any kind of... Um, what, like a process for the magic system or anything? Uh, so my, my Kalenia Chronicles is the magic system. It all started when I was probably 10 or 11 years old. I just built off of, I found it. We lived in this old house that it was old enough to have crystal doorknobs still, you know, and wow. just really, really pretty, this cute little pioneer farmhouse, you know, and uh -huh. I found a skeleton key in the backyard and I was like, what if this key was a magical key? And I just kind of on that. And then at the same time I was, I was brainstorming this, kid who had different a different heritage than most people and he gets his magical powers from his non-human side and i put those two worlds together and so i just brainstormed like like where you know what powers did i want to have and how did he get them and so i just like i was like i want to be able to have him be able to see people's emotions so he can see somebody's anger he can see their you know if they're telling the truth things like that and i was like well how did he get that well he got that from a race of people that their eyes are magical it's the point of their their powers is their eyes you know and so yeah. he's able to see things that other people cannot see um and then my mosaic chronicles and honestly since my mosaic chronicles builds I, i've got three series that are built in that same world you know, the magic system 
it's just I just reused it <laughs> but in the mosaic chronicles it's based on their hair color and um so it's elemental based on hair color so like blonde people um control um air and um dirty dirty blonde people control uh water brunettes and black control earth and then red has of course control air. and then within that i broke it down i was like i want it to be minute like tiny grant tiny granules of power so one character she can create fire but she can't grow it and she can't stop it so she can create a spark of fire and so she's able to use her powers to like explode things because all you need is a little spark for some stuff you know and then right. another character she controls sound and how sound moves and so she can stop people from talking um and things like that and then another character um he works with dirt um i can't remember what his main his because i call them sub abilities so you got the main ability which is the end and then sub ability goes down from there that was so much fun and the fact i mean elements there's so many things like i could have i could have had so many series based in that world because you know i could have one character who is able to control like how a tree grows but not how weeds grow you know things like that and so mm -hmm. i just it was so much fun to delve into that um one character um she went the opposite of everybody else and so her power was uh stopping like fire things like that um mm -hmm. and she gets a job working with the government so like she works with the fbi and with with police and things like that you know to stop terrorists and stuff like that so though it was fun i mean i i would love to delve more into that again like now you're making me want to go back to writing fantasy <laughs> like it's so much fun i just i love yeah, it brainstorming is. like magical relics and things like that but mm -hmm. the actual magical powers themselves i think i'd probably stick to element just because there's so many options in there and then you could totally have a different um origin story completely change everything and you know yeah um I don't know. You've read Mistborn, have you? Yes, but it's been a really long time. <laughs> but like that magic system was insanely different. You know how they right, right. metals and then they burn them. Like that's you know that's that was really creative. I'm not that kind of creative person. So my husband <laughs> is the one I'm usually like, okay, so let's brainstorm, and he he has all the ideas. You know, so I'm able to. I'm like, okay, so how would this work? You know, and he's like, like this. <laughs> that's and, a good idea. We have co-written books, so yeah, yeah. I have brothers that are really into fantasy. Maybe I should brainstorm with them. That's actually a good idea. <laughs> but guys, I need help. Help me do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's good because if they read a lot of fantasy, then they can show you where plot holes are, you know, problems yeah. in the magic system, you know, which mm -hmm. is a good thing because, you know, you want your systems to be sound and to be solid, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll do that. That's cool. Cool. Well, um, so how is your, how is all the romance writing going then that you've switched over to? <laughs> well i've got two novels in the last year done <laughs> that's, good. that's good i mean this this last year has been absolutely insane because we moved sorry i forgot to mute my phone so now it's silenced my brother-in-law is texting me and my husband <laughs> um, <laughs> no i forgot i mean i forgot to mute my phone i i've uh, i've just had a really crazy year because we moved i broke i sprained my ankle had major re re reproductive reconstruction <laughs> constructive yes major reconstructive surgery on it and i had pneumonia over the summer and so i've just mm. like i wrote two books really no three books because i wrote a reader magnet so three books within a few months and then my life just fell apart and um now that my surgery i've it's been two months of surgery so i'm able to do things now i can i can function again so i'm unpacking now because <laughs> i wasn't <laughs> able to do that after we moved and just getting like finding a place for everything like if i could show you my office 
I try to unchaotic, like chaotify this part, but right here is chaos. <laughs> so <clears throat> anyway, so yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start getting back into writing, hopefully um the end of this week. No, this is Thanksgiving, next week. And, right. <laughs> and I'm I'm a fast writer. I type about 200 words a minute. Um, and so I just get going and I get a I can get a novel done usually within a week or two. And I'm trying to get my system down where um, I don't burn out. So I'm trying not to write as fast as I can, because, you know, you don't want to push yourself so hard where then you can't do anything for like a month, you know? Right. So I, I'm having to revisit all of my systems that I had before this move, because I also have a toddler now who is a very challenging, he's just, he's got a lot of allergies and he's a very active, very, 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 very active kid. And he's um, also very demanding and throws a lot of fits and so I'm, I'm having to keep the house from being destroyed by him so yeah, yeah. changing all my systems and all, yeah everything <laughs> so the yeah, romance well, has not <laughs> it's, it's yeah sorry the romance is not done as well as I'd hoped it would because I couldn't do anything with it but that said my romance and I, I shared this on a six-figure author podcast um, about a month ago uh, my romance in the last four or five months has done better than my last fantasy series in two years has done. My last oh, wow. fantasy series was a complete flop, which was really hard. Cause I spent a lot of money on it a lot of time and it just, it did not, it did not do well. And um, part of it, I totally miss a lot of the tropes uh, that our readers are expecting right now. And the cover, I really struggled getting a good book cover on that in that series. Um, anyway, so yeah, my romance has done better with very little attention from me than, you know, a whole fantasy series has. So mm -hmm. that's just two books and one reader magnet. So that's encouraging. It shows that, yeah. you know, I can actually do something with it. And once I actually focus more time and attention to it, I can, you know, I can, you know, resurrect that and get it doing well again. So, yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's good. And it's interesting, isn't it? How you can kind of see um, I've seen this recently with a different genre that just some genres do better than others. And, yep. you know, because I have some that are sort of their fantasy, they're kind of, it was one of the first things I wrote. So it's not like really squarely in one genre and I can get it to move if I, if I run ads to it, but mm -hmm. it doesn't move on its own. And then I have like crime fiction that I can throw something up and it'll just move. I don't even have to do anything, you know? So it's always frustrating when the ones you want to move, don't move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, fantasy readers there's there's a lot more moving parts in fantasy and there's a lot of tropes and things like that but they they tend to be a little pickier than romance but also romance is easier honestly to write than fantasy is which yeah. i don't think that offends romance readers because i'm a, rom a romance author sorry i'm a romance author and i know romance is easier to write than fantasy you know mm -hmm. it, and it, there's a lot of money in that genre right right so can you talk a little bit about, I'm, I'm really interested in the way you said you misalign the tropes. Can you talk about that a little bit and kind of what that looked like? Because there's a lot of people, especially because the people I deal, the, the authors I deal with are pretty new. Half the time they don't even know what a trope is, you know? And so I have to explain it to them and tell them how to um, go and research tropes and things like that. So can you tell us like what you think you did wrong there and like kind of what it looked like? Yeah, I'll actually tell you what I've done wrong with all my series. <laughs> the first series, I wrote it about originally about a 14 year old boy that puts it between middle grade and young adult. And that makes it really hard to find your target audience. And if you don't know who your target audience is, you can't market. And so when I rewrote that, um, the first seven years, that book was those, that series was available. It did not do well at all. So I rewrote it 
for a, as a 16 year old and turned it more into a young adult. And in like the last three years, it is way, 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 way hands over fist outperformed the first seven years. Um, Mm. and then you'd think I would have learned from that because the mosaic chronicles was about an 18 year old, which puts it a little older than young adult. Cause she's not in uh, high school anymore, but because there's no sex in it, it can't go into new adult. And she's not old enough to be considered an adult, even though legally, I don't understand this. Legally, she's an adult, but adults don't want to read about an 18-year-old. They want to read about somebody who's in their late 20s, 30s, you know? And so Uh that one, that one, again, I made the same mistakes with that one. It was the wrong age. Um, I'm not changing that one. That one's done really well. And so my next series that's also done pretty well was Urban Fantasy. And I hit all the tropes right with that one. And um, it's it's done very well. Um, That one also hit, that was the other second book that hit the, the... USA Today list. And so the tropes I did on that one is she's in her 30s. She's already established in her magic, which is something that you can't, with YA, they discover magic. But an adult, mm-hmm. they very rarely discover it. They already are doing it. Um, and um, let's see what other tropes did I hit right. Um, okay, I'm going to tell you what I did wrong with my next series. So you can understand what I did right with this one. The next series is about a guy and it's fantasy romance um more action adventure than romance um and most urban fantasy right now is written from the viewpoint of a woman and especially if it's fantasy romance and men men um books that are about men are not don't have a lot of romance in them and um so if i i don't know like the biggest issue i our biggest mistake i made with that was writing a fantasy romance slash urban fantasy from the viewpoint of a guy And which is really sad because I really like writing from the viewpoint of man because, you know, I have five brothers and it's fascinating to me how their brains think and they can get away with being bossy. And, you know, it's a lot of fun to write uh, viewpoints from men. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a woman. So I get tired of being in my own head, you know? So yeah. Anyway, so I had a lot of fun writing that series and it won the first book, won two awards. And I, like, I, I, my reader said it was the best book they'd ever read of mine, but it didn't hit the market the way I wanted it to, because um, it, it just, it had the romance undertones and it was about a guy. Um, and I considered rewriting it from the viewpoint of a girl. I even bought a cover to go with a pre-made book cover. that was really phenomenal, but I'm like, you know what, maybe someday when I have more time, I'll do that when I'm not raising kids anymore. Um, little kids anyway, but mm-hmm. yeah. So the biggest issue I made with that one was the, the viewpoint of a guy. Um, and the problem with this is like those kinds of trends and tropes, they fluctuate. So in 10 years or so, that series might just explode because things will be, the pendulum will be swinging towards the other side. Because back in the, you know, 80s and 90s, most books were written about from the male viewpoint. And now they're most, most books are written from the female viewpoint. And so it's like a pendulum that swings, you know? And so mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, I know that that book series will eventually uh, earn back the money I spent on it. And I think that it will eventually find a, a market and do really well but right now it's not doing super well. So that's kind of a frustrating thing to hear because you write something and you do all the tropes correctly. And in 10 years or five years, it won't be selling as well anymore. Or you write something right now and don't match those tropes to current, you know, trends. And then in five or 10 years, it will, it'll do better. You know, Um, let's see what other mistakes do I make on that one? Um, I think that was my biggest mistake. And then again, really struggling to find um, like that series, it's about a guy who's been, who's being blackmailed into assassinating innocent people. And he's a demon hunter slash assassin. 
but he usually goes after evil people for good people. And, and in this series being, like I said, blackmailed into murdering uh, innocent people. And so the series is naturally more angsty and more thought provoking than my other books are. And mm -hmm. I think that that also doesn't really work super well for the current market, depending on who you're targeting. Again, if it had been written from a viewpoint of a woman, I think that readers would have accepted a little bit better. Um, I don't know. So it's kind of hard to tell. Uh, but I, another problem I had was the book covers. Like when I launched it, I've, I've, I've spent so much money on book covers, man. <laughs> I made three different sets of book covers for all six of the series on my own because I do my own book covers and then I hated them all. So I hired a cover designer who did phenomenal work, but the covers she did for me sucked. They were really awful. And I had her do four book covers and they cost $475 each. Oh and then, gosh. yeah. And then I hired another cover designer who also does phenomenal work and his book covers for me were awful. And I was like, uh, what the heck is going on? And they progressively got worse the more I worked with him. And those ones luckily were only $210. And the ones that are on them now are ones I did myself again, but they're, and they're darker and more broody. There's not a lot of movement on them and they're, I'm keeping them there because I've put so many book covers on that series that I'm just, I need to just stop paying attention to it and just move on, you know, and yeah. I'll keep them there until I'm ready to tweak with fantasy again, you know, work on my fantasy books again. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that yeah. answers the question. <laughs> yeah, no, it really does. That's a lot. But I mean, I think it shows the amount of work that can sometimes have to go into a series and, you know, it's not just, there's a lot of people who think they can just slap their book together, throw it up there and it's going to start selling. And it's just, it's a lot more work than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with that series that you, that didn't do so well, did you run any ads to it? Like what kind of advertising did you do? Everything. <laughs> really? You did? Yes. I did everything I usually <clears throat> do when I'm arranging for a new release. So I did Facebook ads. I did a long pre-order period, which, um, I don't always do generally pre-orders and me, I, I kind of like them and then I kind of don't like them. And mm -hmm. so for this one, I was like, I, I did a long pre-order period. I did a lot of Facebook ads. I did a lot of Amazon ads. I did a whole, I mean, I swapped with over a hundred authors. Um, it was a huge, 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 huge marketing push. And normally that would have been fine. But in this case, like the book launched with awful book covers and I couldn't mm. do anything about it because I was like, I can't, I couldn't switch them up so frequently that readers would pre-order and then see a totally different book, you know? And so right. I, it was just a frustrating experience, but I mean, my other books, when I did that, when I did ads and launched, you know, to trope as much as I could and, and did newsletter swaps. I mean, the series starters landed on the USA today list. So I'm like, and this one, I was like, why didn't this one? Well, you know, I, I already learned, you know, it yeah. didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, how does your, talk to me about your email list. I don't know. I don't know if you know this, but I actually learned email list building from you originally oh, cool. <laughs> years ago I saw you at um it was the League of Utah Writers conference I, I don't even know how many years ago that was I haven't even attended that in like five years but um <laughs> anyway I, I went to your presentation and then I got your book self-published strong and I kind of started doing newsletters from you so you know talk to us about the newsletter and how important that is in your marketing efforts and, and for your books and everything I love the like talking like right after I've made this huge career shift in writing, but I've also made a huge career shift in how I approach my newsletter lists. And so okay. like, um, my, okay. So previous me, 
always recommended, you know, frequent emailing, which I still do recommend, but I also recommended being really personal, which I no longer recommend. Um, and so, okay. So what ended up happening with my newsletter list, um, my readers on my newsletter list, I would get like 75 to 80% opens with thousands of readers on it. And I would have people email me and say, when they're on the freeway, they pull over to the side of the road to read my newsletters. And I would just, I mean, I get emails like that after every single email I sent out, people said they read my newsletters. Like they read them no matter what they were doing there at a funeral, they would read them if they came through. I mean, I would get emails like that every single week when I would email and I'm like, yes, my my newsletter rocks, but I couldn't get them to download my books. (laughs) So (laughs) what I discovered and um, what I discovered, I did a whole lot of research this last year and a half. Um, if you're personal in your newsletters, you you get really, really good opens. People really enjoy reading those newsletters. But if you're too personal, you, they become converted to your newsletter and they don't, they kind of take your writing, your, your books for granted. And mm-hmm. a lot of them would be like, yeah, I'll download them. I mean, they found me because they liked my books, but it wasn't as such a priority, even though every single email I sent out I would focus on my books in some way. So the way I'm handling my newsletter now, I have cut ties with fantasy. One one of the problems with me is I can't focus on more than one genre at a time because I do so much for that genre, you know, weekly emails and all the ads and everything like that. And so I cut tie with ties with fantasy hundred percent. I haven't emailed them probably just twice in the last year, which if you're trying to kill your, your, your email list, that's the way you do it. <laughs> and, and that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to, um, once I start writing fantasy, then I, then, you know, I will do things differently. So what I'm doing now, uh, with my list, I'm focusing more on the books. I'm giving personal updates. I want, you want to give personal updates because then you become a human to them. And if they feel like they know you, they'll be more likely to support you, but it's a really fine line between too many personal updates and not enough personal updates. And so I think for authors, it's better to err on the side of not enough personal updates while still, I mean, if you have a pet, that's something that everybody interacts with, you know, a dog or a cat or something like that, you can do that and not share a whole ton about your life. So that people feel like they need your every weekly email. Um, yeah, like I had people email me and say they were going through withdrawals when I stopped emailing. And I was like, well, why do you do that with my books? <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, the way I've got my system set up, and this is the way I did it with fantasy. And I still very strongly recommend this is having an automated sequence. So, and a newsletter, a reader magnet. So a reader magnet is something you give them for free in exchange for them signing up for your list for those who don't know. Um, and so what I'll usually do for that is I'll give a free story or a free book or something like that, that is not available anywhere else. And that part's really important because you'll have readers that will buy it rather than give you an email address. And so you have your reader magnet at the book back of every book. Um, they download it or they, sorry, they sign up for your newsletter list. And then you have an email go out that gives them their free download. And then also starts them on a series of automatic emails that will be sent over the course of about a month. And the first one comes like immediately to give them their reader magnet. And then the second one comes a couple of days later to make sure they got that reader magnet. And then you set up a once a week thing after that. And those emails, the purpose of those emails is to slowly introduce you, you yourself to readers and to deliver, like I said, that free book and to verify they received it, but also to get reviews on a book you're working on getting reviews for, or maybe have people join a street team or a review crew or, um, or have them, you know, follow you on Facebook or something like that. So it's basically all of the things you want readers to do and doing it on 
autopilot as an evergreen system so that you don't have to do it um, on your own regularly. And then you also know if they go through those emails, then they already know about, you know, your Facebook group, things like that. So you don't have to email them regularly or, you know, maybe just once a year and say, Hey, have you joined my Facebook group yet? Things like that. Um, and then, um, after that, I do rec, I still recommend you need to, okay. You don't need to do anything. Um, that's one thing <laughs> us, us marketer people were like, you must be doing this. You don't need to do this, but you will have best results. If you're emailing at least once in a 30 day period. The reason for that is newsletter, um, provider and email providers, they pay attention to it's like kind of like a recommendation system or a, like a respect system. I'm not sure how to, what to call it, but if you're emailing at least once a month, then the, the email companies that you're emailing, like Gmail, Yahoo, et cetera, they recognize your email address and they trust it. If you email only every few months, then you don't, they don't recognize you and your emails will more likely be sent to spam than otherwise. So if you're emailing at least once every 30 days, then your emails are more likely to be delivered. I recommend every other week to um, once a week, um, depending on how frequently you're writing and releasing. Um, if you're only releasing a book every few months, then once a month is probably sufficient. If you're writing and, and most people are only doing one or two or three or four a year, they're not doing more than that. So I would say aim for at least once a month. Um, and in those emails, if you're releasing every few months, uh, let them know what you're working on. Don't hit too hard on that aspect. You don't want to get people too excited because the problem with getting them really excited when there's nothing for them to do is a, they won't be able to do anything. They can't act on that. And B when the product is available, they've already gotten over that excitement. And so mm -hmm. don't hit too hard. You can just say, Hey, I'm working on another book, but in the meantime, here's some books from author friends, or here's a picture of my pet dog or, or, um, you know, just things like that. And then when the book does come out, then you hit it really hard. Like, you know, you're like my, my new book is available. You can either pre-order it now, or you can download it now. Um, and then that's when you would tell them what it's about, like share, like the description, share the book cover. Um, you could share reader, you know, enthusiastic reader reviews, you know, one lines, you don't want to get too far into those, you know, just one or two sentences is enough. And then just really focus on getting them to download it in that email. Um, where was I going with all this? What was the question again? <laughs> Just talking about um, the importance of a reader list for your marketing. Oh, That's uh, all. Reader no, list, you're doing great. You're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> Email your readers. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. So do you find that you have a lot of your initial downloads and, and buys from your email list then? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. The mo the people who are most likely to buy your books are going to people who be people who've purchased from you in the past. And mm -hmm. the only way you can know who has purchased from you in the past or have control over that audience is by having your own newsletter list. And so, yes, a newsletter list is really, really important and your most, um, yeah, the, the, the most downloads you'll get will be from that list. As long as you're, you know, taking care of it and right, right. And all that. Right. Good, good, good to know. Um, so you, you're on your podcast, the other podcast, which I listened to called Six Figure Authors. And so how did you, I know this is like a really loaded question, but how did you become like a six figure author? Are there certain things that you feel an author needs to do in order to hit that level of sales? Um, okay, so there are probably 3000 roads to six figure hooddom. <laughs> <laughs> the way it went for me, um, I never had a breakout sell, um, breakout bestseller or anything like that. I mean, I hit the USA Today list, but it was, like I said, it was after a big push on my part. Um, mm -hmm. 
and because I had such a large series, I had a lot of really, really great read through. Um, for me, it was releasing consistently. I released between three and four books every single year without fail until this last year or two years since my toddler was born. <laughs> <laughs> Darn those toddlers. Three kids. Yeah, I, I have three kids. And I became a more productive author when I had my first child. And then my second child just made me even more productive. I mean, I wrote and released three books before I had kids and I have over 75 titles. So wow, kids made me more productive, but this toddler is going to break me. <laughs> he's, he's so, he's adorable. And he's like this tiny little kid who's not on the charts in any way. And anyway, so, um, Let's see. Oh yeah. So I gradually built up to it basically. So what I did was I focused on writing the best book I could write, making sure it had the best book cover on it I could get um, and the best editing I could have. And by best editing, I, I only ever work with one editor at a time. I will, what I'll do is I write the book myself. I edit it myself. I send it to beta readers. I don't do this. This is what I did back in the day. I would send it to beta readers. Then I'd go over their suggestions. Then I would send it to my editor. Then I would have proofreaders go over it. And then my, and then I'd publish, you know, um, and so that was basically my system that got me to be a much better author. Now I can write a book. If I type it, it is almost ready for publication already because I've been doing this long enough, you know, and I, mm -hmm. I writing is second nature to me. Um, and I can usually send my editor didn't even notice when I stopped sending my books to beta readers because my, my products were so clean by that point. Um, and so just releasing a book that is well crafted and not just the writing, but the story itself needs to be really good. And then gradually doing that every three to every three to four times every single year. And then focusing on getting reviews, building my newsletter list, because once you have a newsletter list, you can control how many reviews you get, which is mm. a phenomenal piece of power to possess. Um, you know, like I can generally tell when I have a healthy newsletter list, I usually get between 50 and hundred reviews on between the first and two days, first and second day it's been launched, which is phenomenal for, um, marketing purposes. If you don't have a well-reviewed product, it's really hard to market. And so basically that's just basically how I got up to six figures was by, by focusing on that. I was also focusing mostly on launching wide. Um, and so I had a lot of downloads from on other retailers and I was really good about making sure I got reviews on other retailers as well. And I worked with my merchandiser. I had a, I had a merchandiser on Smashwords who would get me in all these different promotions and, um, I was getting book bub features regularly back then. Um, and now that I've turned off fantasy, I put all my books in Kindle Unlimited, which I'm going to be putting them, putting them wide again next year. But I put all my books in Kindle Unlimited because I was like, my life is falling apart. My business is on the back burner, hundred, like 99%, you know, for the last year and a half, I couldn't do anything. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so all of that has dropped away. Like I'm not focusing on that as much anymore, but now I'm switching gears to writing romance. And I'm going to be putting that same focus that I did in the past to writing romance. And so again, focusing on getting reviews, focusing on building my newsletter list, focusing on figuring out how to get Facebook ads and Amazon ads to work for me, which by the way, if you're a new writer and you only have one or two books out or no books out, do not worry about Facebook and Amazon ads or book ads. None of that. Do not worry about that in the right now, the most, uh, sorry, the most important thing for you to do is everybody says this, write the next book, but focus on building your newsletter list, focus on getting reviews. And there are services where you, companies that you can pay the company to find reviewers for you. The reviewers do not get paid. The company does the reviewers read for free. Um, and then what, what are um, the names of some of those companies? Um, 
<coughs> Hold on. Reading Dills has a company, um, has a, a branch. I don't remember what they are. It's been like a year and a half since I used them. Um, Book Sprout is another one. Yeah, uh, I know that you can, Book Sprout, yeah. Book Sprout's pretty good. I think there's another one called Hidden Gems. Um, right. Um, if you listen to Six Figure Authors podcasts, like you, um, I think we've talked about them in the past. Uh, 20 Books of 50K Group, I would recommend checking in there doing using a search, you know, the search function. Yeah, they're probably in there somewhere, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then after like reviews are outside of your, or inside of your control at that point. Um, but then also, instead of doing Facebook ads and Amazon ads, pay companies who already know how to do that to do it for you. So I'm talking about companies like Reading Deals Again or ENT, um, um, mm -hmm. Book Barbarian, Robin Reads, Free Booksy, things like that. Because they this is what they do. And they can get way more bang for your buck when you're first starting out, even in the first couple of years, than you could by trying to learn Facebook or Amazon ads. Facebook ads, I would say if once you have 500 to to $1,000 of money, you will not miss if you lose, um, then start trying to learn Facebook ads because you will lose that money as you learn ads. Um, right. I, I put probably $1,000 towards Facebook ads before I learned how to make them profitable for me. I've made way more than that since, but if I had done that before I was ready to financially, we would have been starving to death. You know, a thousand dollars is a lot of money, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, I'm not even, I'm even actually not encouraging people to do Facebook ads right now because of the whole iOS update and for new authors, it's just oh, a yeah. lot harder to make it profitable on the front end. And I feel like Facebook's yeah. going to come up with something eventually that'll be a little bit better, but I'm kind of waiting for them to tell me what that is. You know, yeah. I don't want to teach yeah. new students that because I just feel like they're going to lose so much money and I don't want to, yeah. I don't, I don't want to be responsible for that. Yeah, um, so a couple of questions on what you said, I just wanted to kind of unpack some of the things you said. You said that you get 50 to hundred, um, reviews from your, from your email list. So like, can I ask you how many people you have on that list? Just so that people get an idea of the percentage of reviews they can expect. Yes. That's actually a really, really important question. So it's, um, so I have my review crew. That's what I call Andrea's review crew, right? Um, it depends on how you run that, that team. So if you've got a team of people who review for you, you can run it three, one of three ways. The first way is really strict where if they don't post a review, they get removed. And so if you have a hundred people on that list, then you know, you're going to get a hundred reviewers because if they don't review, they get removed from the list. Um, then there's, then the other extreme is, uh, and do you know who Diane Capri is? Uh, I know the name. Okay. She writes Jack Reacher books. Um, you know, who oh, Jack okay. Reacher yeah, is? Yeah. so yeah. she has, she had permission. She writes about a detective who follows Jack Reacher around and is trying to put right, Jack right. Reacher in bar, you know? So she runs her crew like that. She has a hundred people on her crew and she's very strict about how she runs it. Then the opposite side of the spectrum is Mark Dawson. Do you know who Mark Dawson is? Yes, yes. I'm, I'm a little more familiar with how he runs his, uh, but, go, but go ahead and explain it because other people might not be. Yeah, so he is, his, his team is open pretty much for anyone to join. And last time I talked to him, he had 2,000 people on it. Wow. <laughs> so, and he gets way less reviews per person than Diane Capri does. I run, I usually run my list in the middle where I like them to post reviews, but I don't require it for every book and I'm not super strict about it. And honestly, with the romance, I might not even have, I might not even run a review team because it requires a lot of work. 
mm-hmm. my fantasy side, I was having my assistant run it, but now that I'm not focusing on fantasy anymore, you know, so with romance, I'm probably just going to be asking people to post reviews. Um, but when I was running my fantasy list and I was releasing regularly, I had 250 people about on that list and I would get between 40 and hundred reviews. It just depended on how their lives were going. And I wasn't super strict. I would remove people if they weren't reviewing or if they requested to be removed. Um, if they didn't review for a while, I just didn't want, I didn't like to remove people who didn't participate all the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. And, um, so how, when it comes to, do you ever worry about getting negative reviews from your review team or have you had that problem at all? I have, and I remove them from my team. Okay. <laughs> the reason they're on my team is because they like my books. And if they don't <clears> like <throat> my books, they're not, they don't get to be on my team. I'm not going to have them join to, I mean, I had one person, oh, it was so aggravating. She posted a one-star review. There's somebody taking a picture of my house. <laughs> Anyway, sorry. That's interesting in the middle of the day, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's a really weird thing to look out your window and see. We're not selling our house. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> she posted a negative review to get on my my team. I let her on my team because she was really, she's like, I'm really looking forward to reading more. And then she posted more negative reviews. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, so why did she post re- negative reviews? Why, why would she want to? To read a book she hates you know mm-hmm. i was like i did not understand that and i would not have allowed her on the team um because in the first place because but but i did not see her review until later so mm-hmm. i don't read the reviews generally like if they want to get on my team they give me a link to a review and i would say 100 percent of people have sent me a link it's been a link to the review they posted i haven't ever had anybody try to scam me and so i stopped clicking on those links because i don't want to read those reviews because it's, it's not good. It's not good for our, our brains and our heads. You know, they, they get too big. If you're reading all the, all the good press about your books, you know, right, but it's also right. not good to read the negative reviews. So I didn't see that she posted a negative review until probably a few weeks later. Um, and she actually emailed her review to me and I was like, wow, she really wanted me to read it. She probably, I mean, the fact that I added her to the team, she probably didn't expect me to do that. So she was probably like, oh, she never read my review. Well, I better send it to her anyway. So I removed her from the team. I haven't talked to her since then. Um, but yeah, if they don't enjoy my books, there's no reason for them to be on the team. And pretty much everybody who is, usually leaves a five-star review. I mean, I've had a couple of them leave four-star reviews, but they're on my team because they love my books and they view, they think they're worth five stars, you know? Right. Right. And, and that, that team is there for you, not for the readers. So you, you know, put people on it who like your books. Don't, don't try to reach out into the, if, if they're so, so, I mean, you'll get those reviews naturally. There's no reason to seek them out. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, so you, you also mentioned getting, being really good about getting reviews on other retailers when you're wide. How did you go about getting them on other retailers? Um, I would, well, Kobo, I don't know if they still do this, but Kobo would incentivize new accounts with a $5 credit. And so with my review, my street team, I, for a while, required them to post reviews on two or more retailers. And sometimes, depending on the person, I would accept a Goodreads review and an Amazon review. But generally, I would say it has to be on one of the main retailers and not Goodreads is not included or BookBub. Now I just, I'm not that strict anymore, obviously. But yeah, I would, I would tell them you need to set up an account with iTunes or with Barnes and Noble or with Kobo and post your review on two different retailers. And I would encourage them to post reviews on Kobo because Kobo was frequently promoting me back then. And so I wanted to make sure that that site was really healthy looking, you know, 
Right. So yeah, that's what I did. Yeah. That's a super good idea. Good. I'll have to try that. That's one thing that I, I'm wide too. And I, I have hard time getting <laughs> reviews on the other retailers. They don't come as naturally as Amazon. No, they don't. Even people who buy on the other retailers will still post reviews on Amazon only, which I'm like, you bought the book from Kobo. <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> All right. Well, we are coming up on 45 minutes here. Um, so just to kind of throw a wild question at you, if you could take a plane ride with any author living or dead and talk to them the whole plane ride, who would it be and why? Living or dead. <laughs> My Oh, wow. My, I would, um, okay. So I'm going to go with a serious and not serious answer, right? My okay. grandpa was a published author. He had over 50 books and he passed away when I was 17 before oh, wow. I wanted to be a writer. And I would, I would kill, I would literally kill <laughs> to have the opportunity to sit on a plane, right. And talk to him. Like, what was it like? You know, how did you handle reviews and how did you handle this? And, you know, and how stressful mm -hmm. was it to write when you had kids, you know, I would, I would kill to be able to talk to him. It makes me want to cry actually. Holy cow. You just, you hit me with emotions. <laughs> and then honestly, I would probably, oh man, my, I, my brain, I mean, I've met Brandon Sanderson several times. I've met Mole several times and I'm just not, I mean, I could, if I wanted to, because, you know, I just not as interested. I'd probably go with JK Rowling. <laughs> That was me going back around and around and around and around my aunts and being like, I really am serious. I just, I love, I love the Harry Potter, I'm sorry, the Harry Potter books. And I just, I'm, I just finished a Harry Potter movie marathon and it would be so much fun to just be like, where did you come up? Like, what was your thought between behind making Ronald Weasley and Hermione Granger end up together? Which I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't think that was a good, I think Ginny and Harry were horrible together too. <laughs> anyway. Um, and then beyond her, I would probably pick one of my author friends like Rachel Anderson. She writes romance. She's really fun to be around. And that would be a really fun plane ride. Um, or Jeanette Rollison. Do you know who Jeanette Rollison is? Uh -uh. Oh my gosh. She, some of the best romances and she writes fantasy too for young adults, but her romances are hand. They're so wonderful. So if you like funny, funny books that are like, have a little bit of emotion in them. Like I almost always cry at the end, happy tears, you know, uh -huh. um, and, and cute romance love stories, uh, look up her books. So for example, uh, one last wish is really phenomenal. And then my double life, those are my two favorites of hers. Um, but she would be, she's just a really funny down to earth woman. It would be so much fun to sit next to her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely look those up. I haven't read her. Well, good, good. Those are, yeah, those are great answers. I love, I love, I kind of, love asking that question to authors because it aggravates them because they can't come up with just one. So I kind of do it to torture the authors on my podcast, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's so many, but like, honestly, I don't, I've never been a fangirl type person. The only author I ever fangirled over I, when I met, I was very disappointed and I'm not going to say who it was. I was just very disappointed. I was like, so authors are real people. <laughs> and that was before I started writing. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, and then since then I haven't ever really fan, like been like, Oh, I'm here. you know, because they're, yeah. people and, and so, you know, I don't, I don't JK Rowling just because that's on my brain right now. I just finished the Harry Potter movies They're It's fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I think I would be like you too. People have asked me, you know, well, who would you pick? And I, you know, I could come up with a hundred different people, but I would be more interested like in their creative process. And like, I would want to sit back by, um, Edgar Allan Poe, I've come up with that before and just be like, just, just talk to me. Just, 
I just want to know yeah. anything you want to say. I'm here to listen. You know? I was going to say like from that era, HP Lovecraft, you know, who <laughs> is? yeah. Yeah. But he would not be fun to sit next to because I'd be like, I don't really want to know what's going on in your brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe learn that from a safe distance on the plane. You know? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for being here with us today. Do you have any kind of last minute advice for aspiring authors? Um, I, the first thing that pops in my mind is it's a marathon, not a sprint. Don't freak out that you're not writing uh, as much as you would like to, or as successful as you would like to be, but also recognize that if you don't do something, you will never do something. <laughs> and so don't put off publishing because you're afraid you're, you're going to flop. Don't put off mm -hmm. uh, marketing because you're afraid it's going to flop. Don't put pub put off writing because you're too busy, you know, make it a priority, but then also don't freak out that you're not doing better than you are, you know, cause it takes mm -hmm. years and this is, this is one of those careers where we see the success stories really easily, but what people usually forget is it takes like 20 years to become that success story, you know? Right. And so just you're in it for the long haul, focus on the marathon, not the sprint. Good. Good. That's really good advice. Well, um, tell everybody where they can find you and connect with you. We've talked about your podcast, which is six figure authors, but where else can they hear from you? Um, so I spend most of my time on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook a whole ton though. So I get on Facebook like once every couple of weeks, um, except for the six figure author Facebook group, which I'm the primary admin over. And I will get on Facebook, just add people to that and interact with people there. And then I'll totally ignore everything else about Facebook because <laughs> my time, you know, I'm like, it makes me a little panicky to think about being on Facebook sometimes. So mm -hmm. if you find, I mean, reaching out to me there is fine. Um, email. I mean, I'm usually a few days behind on everything. So yeah. Um, six figure authors podcasts and that Facebook group are, are where I'm most likely to be found. And then email my email address is Andrea at .com or AP at Andrea Pearson books.com. I also have, um, um, courses on marketing. If anybody wants to look those up, I charge instead, you know, like between $25, sometimes even $10. And, um, <clears throat> I'm trying to remember like up to, I have one that's a hundred dollars, but that one is a two hours that is really, really, it's called advanced newsletter marketing. And that one is really packed full of really good stuff for, um, running a successful newsletter. And, um, so that's, those are at selfpublishedstrongcourses.com. And I believe I've got a coupon code right now. Do they, do you think your people, your people <laughs> would yeah, want that? Yeah. Okay. That'd so be great. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to sign in really fast. Um, a couple of the courses that I've got include like launching and relaunching books because I've had to launch and relaunch like launching. I teach you how to launch a book successfully. And then I teach you how to relaunch. So if you feel like you flopped your first launch, which I've done several times, <laughs> then you can, you can relaunch. Um, and, um, I teach you how to do that. And that one's also $50. Let's see, hold on. Um, and I have one on automation sequences that teaches you how to actually set up the automation sequences. Um, which has, you know, that's good, you know, instead mm -hmm. of sub subscribing to my list and then getting it after five months or something, you know, <laughs> okay. So we're going to add a new coupon really fast. Do you mind? No percentage 50% off for, um, all of the courses. All right. So I'm going to set it up coupon code prolific and I'm writing it down right now. I will go and put that in right now. So prolific, cause I changed their system. So prolific uppercase letters. Um, selfpublishedstrongcourses.com. You can get them for 50% off if you use the coupon code prolific. Um, right. Does that sound good? Thank you so much for doing that. 
So <laughs> yeah. I try to do 50% off discounts because I understand it's, you know, it's having mm-hmm. to learn how to market and having to do edits and book covers and stuff like that. It's not, it's not easy. So. Right. Right. Well, thanks. Yeah. I will definitely put that. Um, and I'll make sure and link to the website and all of your places in the show notes of the podcast. Okay. Awesome. Sounds good. Great. Well, thank you again so much for being here and good luck with everything with the, uh, the toddler and the moving in and all of that. Oh, oh my goodness. As I, I told you, it's all chaos in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like knocking things off my desk. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Okay, so that's the end of the interview. I hope that you found some value in that. Andrea definitely knows what she's doing, and she was very sweet to give us a 50% off on all of her courses moving forward. So um, the link for that is in the show notes. You can click on it if that's something you're interested in. And if you found some value in this or you know in any of her courses, please share this podcast with your author friends. Always make sure that you are following the rules of any Facebook community you're in, but if you can share it in any Facebook group, on Instagram, anywhere that you think uh, that you connect with authors and you know if you've think that anything here is worth sharing, then please do that. Beyond that, I hope you are having a wonderful holiday season and that you have a wonderful week and a wonderful season of writing. I'll meet you back here same time, same place next month. And remember, there is always a market for awesome. Bye guys. Me again. Before you go, if you found value in this episode, I would love it if you could leave me a review. Reviews are the best way to show your appreciation and help others find this podcast. Be sure to screenshot it, share it on your favorite social media network, and tag me at LK Hill Books. Remember, the world needs your stories. Only you can change someone's heart with your fire-breathing dragons, your mind-blowing mysteries, your epic romances, and your intense thrillers. So join the revolution and be a prolific author.